Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work For Him Zone. I hope you're never the same. Every day on I Work For Him, it's our desire to challenge the way you connect your faith in your workplace. And today, we have a very special guest. We have Pastor Bob Brubaker. He's a triathlete. He's a senior pastor of Christ Community Presbyterian Church. He's... And he's, you know, he, he's got his own blog. He's got the weekly power break, which is a blog. And he rides his bicycle all over Tampa Bay. He's got so many different titles and jobs, but today we're talking about what is your purpose in doing this? And Bob's had a lot of challenges in his life, so I'd like to welcome Bob Brubaker to the I Work For Him program. Well, thank you, Jim. It's good to be here. I, w- I can't wait for people to hear your story, but before we do, I wanted to read this verse from Romans eight twenty eight. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. You've had quite a lot of challenges in your life. I certainly have. <laughs> which we're going to talk about your book, but you're also a pastor, which you've been a pastor for how many years? Um, since 1983, I think it's uh, 30-some so years. 32 years of being a pastor, that's you know that's 32 years of adversity. Because, you know, as a pastor, you're always doing good things, and no good deed does go unpunished, which is why Paul told us not to grow weary of doing good. So your life is full of challenges. 
And and I wanted people to hear, you've got an incredible challenge. You've written a book, One Breath from Death. And people need to hear that story because it's an incredible story. So wh- why don't we just start there? I normally just ask people, how's Christ making an impact in your life today? But your your book really starts that off. So so you can you can start with, how, how's Jesus impacting your life today? And then break into w- what happened. Why were you one breath from death? Well, I always say one, I was one breath from death, but look what God can do. And if he's done this for me, look what he can do for you. And that's always important to understand when God, when God has taken you through a, a series of incidents in your life, that God has blessed you. It says in 2 Corinthians that he, uh, <clears throat> he blesses us so that we can comfort others or bless others with the blessing or a comfort that we've received from God. Right. He never, he never wastes adversity in our lives. No, Whatever that experience is, he does. always uses it. And uh, in 2000. In uh, 2005, I was one breath from death. I was dying from a pneumonia, and my doctor couldn't understand what was wrong with me. And, and he kept trying. Did to it start like a normal cold or something like that? Or it, it, it was actually uh, progressive. I actually did Ironman Florida in November uh, up in Panama City Beach with pneumonia. I came home and I was very sick. My doctor couldn't believe that I had actually done a full Ironman race. With pneumonia, a full Ironman, yes. like the whole lengthy deal, the two miles at sea, two point four, two point four mile swim, one hundred and twelve mile bike, and run twenty six point two miles, and I didn't have the time that I wanted to, and so I was feeling sick, and so I went to the doctor, and he said, "Well, you have pneumonia. I can't believe that you actually performed in this race at all," and he kept trying, kept trying different medications to bring, bring it under control, and the pseudomonas bacterial infection in my lungs just got worse and worse. My lungs were actually, I, the disease I have, my body reinfects itself. So I, I, he said, I think I'm going to have to check you into National Jewish Medical Center in Denver. Now, this, my doctor happened to be a Christian, and uh, I said, Dick, I thought you were the best doctor around, <laughs> and you're sending me to National Jewish Medical Center. And he said, well, I, says, uh, I serve the Lord, and I know that I don't know everything. And I, wanted, I want someone who I have faith that uh, they'll, they'll try to find what's wrong with you. So he finally got me in in the following, following April. And uh, when I was there for three days, they, first of all, they put me on oxygen right when I went there. And secondly, when they, uh, after just a couple of days, they said, we don't know what's wrong with you. We have to do a series of tests. We're going to make you very sick before we can make you better. I was supposed to be there for a maximum of two weeks, and I was, in, I was there for four weeks. And a total of six weeks after the incident that I had, because after they made me very, very sick, they took me to another hospital where they did a lung biopsy, where they collapse your lung and take a piece of the lung and then uh, staple it together and then pull the air out of your chest to inflate your lung. The following day, a, an intern pulled my chest tube too soon. My lung collapsed and sent air through my body. I swelled up like the Michelin man, and it closed off my airway. I called for help. And they, uh, they were going to do a tracheotomy and put me on a respirator, but uh, surgery got there, and, and anesthesia hadn't. So I was just left to die. And a doctor finally said, I need to put a new chest tube in without anesthesia. Stand by, and he stabbed me with a new chest tube. Saved my life, but I was still touch and go for uh, 10 days in ICU. And as a matter of fact, they induced a coma for three days, and I couldn't believe the pictures that uh, I I've took. seen the pictures. Uh, it's not pretty. It's uh, I was Michelin man, and in fact, they called me the Michelin man. But I was uh, I came through that time, and God saw my wife and I through that. Matter of fact, I could not believe. As a matter of fact, when we talk about something that can very be very beneficial on the work on the for- workforce, and that is an attitude of gratitude. God blessed us with this attitude of gratitude, so that everything that the nursing staff did, it was just 
words of gratitude just flowed out of our mouths, my wife and myself. And consequently, I had, during the time that I was in ICU recovering, I had staff and uh, nurses and staff that would come and just sit in my room and talk to us. We had opportunities to minister to, to many people from the doctors and nurses that would just hang out in my room. And I was in ICU, but uh, God had blessed us to um, make connections with, with people. And then, and then after, from that point on, the uh, word was that I, I was going to recover, but it was going to be a long process. And they still didn't understand what was wrong with me. And finally, uh, I got out of ICU and went back to National Jewish Medical Center. And a doctor worked all night long and came up with this disease that I have. Did he just make up a name because they couldn't figure out something? No, no. uh, So the problem was the the disease I have is called diffuse panbronchiolitis, which is only documented among Asian males. I'm not Asian. No. And uh, he said... He, he, Blonde he, hair, blue eyes, probably when you were young, I'm sure. He said that the uh, that other uh, uh, people have that uh, the disease. He said they, just, they die before we can document it. You're the first Caucasian to be documented to have this disease. And he bombarded my body with all these... Um, uh, Antibiotics, and I was on, came home from the hospital from from National Jewish Medical Center on on oxygen, and I was on IV antibiotics, and uh, I went and signed up for the Disney Marathon, and my wife and I ran. The, that was in April of 2005, and in January of 2006, my wife and I ran the Disney Marathon, and it's interesting because many people run the Disney Marathon run for uh, the Leukemia Society or somebody, so they run in honor of someone who's died. And my wife pointed out the fact that uh, we were running in honor of the fact that God spared my life. So every mile was a, was a uh, celebration. And uh, from that point on, I, I, matter of fact, uh, when I finished the race, my friend was a race director, gave my story to people. He said he was one breath from death, but look what God can do. And he pointed out several highlights of my story as we were crossing the finish line. And after that, I went back and did uh, five more Ironman races. and Full Ironman. Full Ironman races. And uh, um, the, today, my doctors can't believe because I've surpassed the, the life expectancy of the disease by about 10 years. But I have to exercise every day. If I don't, a disease will set in my lungs and I could die. Really? So, I mean, it's... So the exercise, just keeping them exercise with a lot of heavy breathing, doing the exercise thing, the blood flowing in and out of lungs, that's what keeps you healthy. That's what that clears my airways, yes. And that's that's important for me. So um, I always say that I am blessed with a wife who cares about me enough to say, shouldn't you be exercising today? Where other guys, their wives might say, hey, you shouldn't be exercising so much. <laughs> Do you really need that Twinkie? <laughs> Come on. How about that Mountain Dew? You don't need that Mountain Dew or that Twinkie. <laughs> So I like to say that was one. So really, half of America should be diagnosed with this disease, so we'd all get off our butts and exercise. I wouldn't. I wouldn't ask. Not to have it really have the disease, but just to get people exercising. If a doctor said that to you, might be. You know, my doctor doesn't have to tell me that. He says always admires the fact that I do exercise, and so I try to be very disciplined about that. That's something that has been part of my life for years as an athlete, and or a wannabe athlete. Well, you're not a wannabe if you've done that many triathlons. That only, only serious athletes can do serious triathlons. I've, I've been blessed to do 19 Ironman races. And, That's uh, unbelievable. And, and uh, including the Ironman World Championship in Hawaii. So do you know David Yates then from the Clearwater Marine Aquarium? I know David, yes. Okay, I've had him on the show a couple of times. He's become a friend of mine. And, and I know he used to be in charge of the... Iron Man before yeah. he became at the, at right. the Marine Aquarium. Right. He, he was the director of the of the world championship in Hawaii. Wow. Okay. So 
you wrote a book about this experience, and I want to share that. I asked you to bring a couple of copies we can give away. And, and there's a lot of people out there that they have – I mean, this was a tough experience. I mean, you could have died. Oh, yeah. uh, your wife could have been a widow at a very young age. You wrote this book. Why did you write the book? I, well, I kept a, a journal online during this time that I was in the hospital. and I, So I, every day, when even when I was in ICU, my goal was to get up and encourage people uh, by my writing. And it was going out over the Internet. And I found that I had connections all over the world. And people were following and appreciating this because then they would write to me, uh, my aunt has uh, cancer, and I've shared their story with her, and she's been really blessed by this. And so I put the bo- put it in a book form, and uh, um, I, I found that people that receive the book uh, find it as a word of encouragement. And then my mother passes them around. She lives in this uh, old folks' home up in Ohio, and she she's given the <laughs> this. This is my boy. Read his book. <laughs> well, she's my my mother is very conscientious of trying to encourage others. As a matter of fact, she's ninety two, but she likes to encourage old folks. So. Nice. Well, you know, but it, it, you know, I've got a buddy of mine that 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 works at assisted living communities all over the all over the county, and ninety two year olds are young people. Yeah, I and mean, there's a lot of people well over a hundred in those places. So good for her that she's yeah. ministering to the old folks. So the book that I wrote, I, I just wrote it for a word of encouragement. And like I say, if God has done this for me, just think of what He could do for you. And that's what we're looking at: is God is a, a merciful and gracious God. And we'd like to point out the very fact that when we receive a blessing, we shouldn't keep it to ourselves. We shouldn't hoard those blessings, but share the experience with others and try to encourage them. Mm, that's fantastic. All right. So we got a couple of copies of this book to give away. So I might as well go right into the book highlight segment because it's time because I want to give these copies away. Our book highlight segment is brought to you by Karis Christian Books and Gifts. We got a couple of copies of this book to give away. One Breath from Death, written by Bob Brubaker. Brubaker. Wow. That was just Bob Brubaker. I'll say it and I'll get it done. <laughs> uh, you've just heard his story, so I don't need to go through it again. But you got to get a copy of this book. Nobody's offered you any movie deals on this yet. No. (laughs) All right, so you got to read this book. Don't wait for the movie. All right, call into the studio line now, 855-265-2929, 855-265-2929. Get a copy of this book by Bob Brubaker. He's a local pastor here in Clearwater at, I want to say it, Christ, Senior Pastor of Christ Community Presbyterian. I did not have any caffeine either. That's not true. I had a mocha frappuccino today at McDonald's. So there you go. Senior Pastor of Christ Community Presbyterian Church right here in Clearwater. Get a copy of this book, 855-265-2929. Andrea is standing by. She's got one caller. If you call in, just be patient. All right, Bob, you've been a pastor for 32 years. All right. It's a tough job. I'm not telling you something you don't know. You just like make it sound like I just informed you on something. All right. So it's what's your biggest struggle as a pastor? I think the the word is to encourage. My biggest struggle is getting people to um, spend time with God every day. That's my goal is to disciple men in particular, but uh, disciple my congregation so that they are spending time with prayer in, in prayer and also in the Word every day. It's a struggle because everybody comes up with this, I don't have time. 
<laughs> yeah, that's like saying they don't have money, and they, that's why they can't tie it to the church. Right. They don't have time. Well, yeah, yeah, anyway, that's another story. So they don't have time. It's right, but it's that we don't make time. Right. We have 168 hours. Actually, the scriptures teach us we are to redeem the time or make the most use of time. And uh, time management has been something that when I first got into the ministry, I've I was just um, kind of overwhelmed with all the responsibilities, and nobody had really taught me time management when I was studying. For no, me. you mean in seminary they didn't give you those business skills? They just talked to the <laughs> theology part, right? Yeah, they're they're starting to actually they're actually starting to hit some of those good things. Yeah. in seminary, but right. they missed that. Well, uh, I was uh, actually preaching at a church in Atlanta with a friend of mine uh, pulled out his day timer, and he just had everything on his day timer. And I said, Gus, can you teach me what that? Yeah, is the all day about? timer. Oh man, they were the greatest tool. And then you got the Palm Pilot. Yeah. And now you got Outlook. <laughs> All right, Bob, we were talking right before the break about how, as a pastor, I asked you one of the struggles, and you said the biggest struggle is getting people, getting men to, well, really it wasn't just men, it's everybody, everybody. just everybody. to do their devotions every day. Right. You, you, is it that they don't know how, or is it, is it really that they refuse to spend the time? Everybody comes up with different reasons, but I think the main thing is that uh, it's just not a, a, a proper use of time. Maybe that's the book you need to write next. 101 excuses for why you shouldn't do your devotions. <laughs> that would be a great sarcastic sermon. Whoa, have you ever done a sarcastic? <laughs> have you ever done a sarcastic sermon like that? I have that? not. No. Do you think Jesus would have a problem with that? Uh, no. I think it would be an effective tool. You can use that idea. You don't even have to give me credit. All right. That sounds like an important thing to do. Yeah. If pastors would be funnier, it would drive a point home. I mean, everybody's just so serious all the time. I think Jesus had a riot. I mean, when you look at the guys he hung out with each and every day, there's no way they were serious all the time. They were fishermen. You ever hung out with fishermen? Well, Levi was a tax collector. Okay. All right. He would <laughs> Exactly. Okay. So IRS people. There's nothing funny about IRS people. But there's but fishermen, they're funny. There you are. Yeah, they probably had a lot of fishermen stories. Oh, my word. And, and just a rough crowd, crowd. I always joke, you know, I, I've done, I've taught Connection Group for a dozen years. My wife and I did youth ministry for 20 years as volunteers. I always talked about the fact, I said, okay, listen, these are all these guys hanging out together, hanging out all the time. They had to cross the Jordan River all the time. It's said to be the muddiest river in the Middle East. You And the banks were muddy. There's no way one time that Peter didn't just grab a little bit of mud and throw it at Andrew and miss him and smack Jesus in the back of the head. And they had an all-out mud fight. You know stuff like that had to happen. <laughs> I just don't understand why they didn't, why, why they didn't you know, write about it in the Gospels. Well, the most important thing in the Gospels is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So the th- happenings of the disciples, other than their mistakes, are probably not... Uh, I, 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 point well taken. But the point is that Jesus was real. He, he lived a human life. And you know he hung out with a bunch of rough and tumble guys. Yeah. They had a good time. So as a pastor, that struggle, trying to get people to actually read their Bibles, spend time in prayer. Or I like to walk up to a guy. You know, one of the things I really appreciate what you did, Jim, was to encourage people. The first thing about uh, witnessing to people in the work place is to pray for them okay people should have a list of people they're praying for. by name yes and on a regular basis and so it's important for for people to have a good prayer life and uh, i like to walk up to guys and say hey can you tell me about your prayer life and you just watch how they stumble and, and uh, fumble. See, and, I hit them up even harder than that. And this is one you can use as well. I always ask, because my wife and I do marriage mentoring. And the most powerful tool to recover any marriage and to give a marriage a solid tool is for a husband and wife to pray together. Mm-hmm. And so my hit up to the guys is, not, not how's your prayer life? How many days this week did you pray with your wife? Mm. 
because that's the way to save marriages. We got to get people praying together because marriages, husbands and wives that pray together stay together. I know that that's an overused term of some other kind of way, but you know, it's people don't understand how incredible the quiet time can be. All right. But and it was uh, Buck Jacobs is a guy that started an organization called C12, and he, and he said there's 23 hours in the day. The first hour is the Lord's, mm-hmm. and the days that I skip that first hour. My days are never, they're never the same. All right. As we get back to our conversation live right here with Bob Brubaker, we're talking about his role as a pastor. His job every day is to be pastor. He's paid to run a church. Bob, how much of Not that? run the church. Well, okay. Well, I'm a shepherd of the flock. Okay. But whatever term you want to use. <laughs> well, that's always a problem. People what? think they're going to run the church. And we always say there's a lot of places to run the church. You can run the vacuum cleaner. You can run the mower. But you can't run the toilet brush. That's right. Uh, okay. Hey, I also want to thank Larry for calling in. So Larry and Randy, I got both your books autographed because Bob brought them and he autographed for me. So those will go out in the mail in the next couple of days. Bob, but your job is hard. You, you got a tough job. Well, but when you're serving the Lord, that's I mean, every job is hard. It is. I mean, when we look at the... Not radio. Doing, this is way easy. Oh, yeah. It's a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, every job has its, has its uh, challenges. And, uh, of course, if it wasn't challenging, it wouldn't be worth it. But, you know, God is the one who gives... He's the God of all grace. And he's promised... Amen. And he's promised to give su- uh, uh, sufficient grace. And he's promised to all grace would abound to us when we take what we've been given and use it to his glory. I'm just trying to make sure everybody gets chances to, to let that soak in. Right before the break, we were talking about one of your biggest struggles as a pastor, and that's getting people to actually do their devotions on a, on a daily basis, to actually spend time with the Lord, praying, reading their Bible. And, and I got to just tell people, it is, I've read through the scriptures now, I'm in the 30s of times from cover to cover. If you haven't read, if you're a Christ follower and you haven't read your Bible from cover to cover, you are missing so much. And, and I do it first, I used to do it at night, and I'd There are certain times in life where I could do that. Then I had children, and I was too exhausted at night. And then when my kids got really old, they wanted to talk at night. So I started doing my devotions in the morning. And it's it's life-changing. You start your morning in prayer and reading your Bible, and and it's it's unbelievable. If you're not doing it, you're missing out. There's nothing to replace it. Shut the phone off. Shut the TV off. Just spend some quiet time. It is amazing. It's power source. It you is are a power tapping source. into the power source of God. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the scriptures. The Holy Spirit is the one who enlightens us to understand the scriptures. And so we're communing with God as we read his word and as we communicate with him in prayer. So it's very important that we are connecting with the source of all power. And the book of Ephesians tells us that we connect to the source of all power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And Jesus said we would do greater things than him. Hmm. Yes, by the power of the Spirit. By the power of the Spirit. And what's amazing to me is that most churches don't talk about the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit, of course, is his purpose, according to John 16, is the purpose is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And so the the closer we get with him, and of course, what he's going to be doing is the, the, the key to it is submitting to Christ as Lord. Mm-hmm. He's the Lord of your life. And of course, you're going to submit your time to him. And your time is 168 hours a week. And let's just say if we tithed our time. 16.8 hours. Whoa. <laughs> and how many of you spent 16.8 minutes with him last week? Well, wow. But I bet you question. spent 16.8 hours watching the tube. 
Well, that's, there's a lot of challenges. There is a lot and of challenges. There's no way. But how do you face those challenges without the Lord that you made the Lord of your life? Exactly. We, we exactly. tend to put them in certain sectors of our lives instead of making them the Lord of all of our lives. So the encouragement to people in the workforce or anywhere you are, the, the point is you need the power source to f- make it through the day. And there's no way you can glorify God on your job if you're not tapped into the power source be- before you get to the job. Do, your, do the people that go to your church, do they struggle with the fact that you're a sinner? They recognize where <laughs> you know. I don't, I, and I don't say sinner. that sarcastic. I don't say that sarcastically, but I, I know that a lot of people hold their pastors up to this incredible level of unrealisticness. Well, let, let me end, let me let me in in a secret here, there, Jim. For a we, while, we have probably a couple thousand people listening. In 1999, I was going to the Ironman World Championship in, in Kona, Hawaii. And I made a pitch to a company by the, of Hormel to be the spam, great North, Midwestern yeah, company to, to be the spam man at the Iron Man. That's awesome. And they sponsored me, and so I am known as the spam man. And so that that was a very great uh, sponsorship. I had a lot of fun. I was on television, national television, just because it didn't fit spam and Iron Man. You know, and it's not exactly your healthy snack. <laughs> but uh, I, my license tag says spam man. So as I drive up to the church and they see the spam man is at the church, you can't take yourself too seriously if you're the spam man. But do you ever have people think that you can't relate to their struggles? No, they people feel that way about pastors a lot. But I think that uh, the more that we understand that we make it known that we struggle with uh, uh, the, the fact uh, struggle with life as well, and that God has you know given us grace, and uh, all we are is is one beggar that has found food, and we're just sharing with other beggars. What I, what I think is unique, and it's it's hard to find churches that recognize that the pastor is just he's one of the pieces of the body of Christ, and that you know his job is to whatever i mean it depends on the pastor and the specific gifting but to teach to encourage and everybody else it's all it's all like one big team but a lot of times right. the churches it's there's like the coach and then there's the guys that are the water boys and there's nobody else on the team right. and that's a tough role because you got to get people off the off the bench and out into the field well ephesians chapter 4 describes it and says the work of the pastor is to equip the the saints the the, the people in the, in the pews uh, to uh, do the work of the ministry. So the work of the ministry is not the pastor that does it. He does the equipping. Right. And each one, it says, uh, the, the, the body grows as each each one does his or her part in ministering to the other members of the body. So how are you doing equipping your your believers who are in the workplace each and every day? How are you doing as a pastor, specifically helping people recognize that their workplace is a mission field and being equipped to go there? I understand some of that's their responsibility, reading their Bible, praying, but how, how are you doing as a pastor with that? Well, one of the things I, I preach uh, and try to share with them is that the very fact that the, they are called to their job just as I'm called to my job. It's a, call, it's a divine calling, no matter what job that you have. Even if you have taken a job that is not your primary interest, whatever place God has you, that is God's calling on your life. And you're to take Amen that as that. serious. You're to take that as serious as a man who says, "I am called to the ministry to be full time in ministry." You are called to that job, and you're to do the best of that job. It says in Colossians chapter three that we're to do whatever we do, we're to do in word or in deed to the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're digging a ditch, you're doing it to 
the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter and it can be done. Do. If you're folding envelopes, whatever, whatever you do, you do it to the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, there's an old preacher that taught me one time. I used the expression of the Rebecca principle. Have you ever heard? I have not, but I'm Rebecca. sure you can tell me. That's okay. <laughs> well, the Rebecca principle, Rebecca in the Old Testament. So we're talking Rebecca. Isaac's Rebecca. Yes. Okay. And before, when the servant uh, of Abraham went to find this bride for Isaac, mm-hmm. remember he said, he prayed to the Lord and said, if I come uh, to this well. And, Maybe the first person I meet. And the first person I meet, and, and she's going to ask me, if, I'm going to ask her for a, a drink of water, and she's going to say, uh, here's the drink of water. Let me water the camels also. Right. Okay. That was uh, the, Rebe- the Rebecca principle is you do what is re- required, required of you and more. If everybody that was a Christian did that attitude on the workplace, just think of what the testimony would be. Well, and, and let's just step back on that because I love that. I'd never heard that. Pers- I know exactly what Rebecca did. And, and and a lot of people don't understand it because most of us don't have camels. But it would be, you know, you're driving a Geo Metro. Okay, people don't know what those are anymore. Okay, you're driving. I drive a little Scion. Okay. A Fiat. Uh, I know, well, okay, but they have a lot of those. Okay, you're driving a little Fiat and a, a guy pulls up and he wants a glass of water and he asks you to fill up his gas tank and he's driving a Hummer. Yeah. And, and because camels, you know, they don't, when they're thirsty, they need hundreds of gallons of water. Right. It was, it was probably 20 gallons of water a piece. And there's probably, he traveled with around 10 to 15 camels. Yeah, a ton this of was them. A, this was a, it was a, a caravan. It was a caravan. And so, and she had to walk down into the well to, to draw the water. So it was not an easy task. No, I, uh, I just... When you look at, the, I love that Rebecca principle. I'm going to write that down. I'm never going to forget that again. That's what the challenge is. As I, as you'll hear at the end of the show, but I, I'm challenging people to join the I Work for Him Nation, which is just to make a commitment to be the light of Christ in their workplace by starting to pray for people in their workplace right. by name each and every day, looking for ways to befriend them outside of the workplace, uh, looking for ways to serve them inside of the workplace, and looking for ways to pray with them when they see their countenances down, when they see, hey, what's going on? You seem different today. Look for the change in, in the demeanor. And you, hey, what's going on? Hey, can I pray with you about that? Mm-hmm. Actually ask, can I pray with you? But all of along being the best and brightest example a person of excellence in a workplace that's what's missing in our society today we lost the culture war we have lost the culture war now we need to take the war to the culture and we're going to do that in the workplace by being everybody who's in christ should be the absolute best worker in the workplace that's right and they should be the hardest fastest worker that's right and why because of what they're doing they're they're doing it as unto the lord yeah Not, Colossians 3 23 and 24 yeah and so uh, and the, the Rebecca principle is a good in- illustration of how you do that, that you actually, whatever's required of you, you do it, and then you do some more. And so you, you don't even look at, you know, Rebecca didn't uh, complain about it. She just did it. And then she was surprised when he said, oh, uh, he started laying all these gifts on her. You know, she didn't do it for the gifts because she didn't, which she didn't know about it. And he gave her the nose ring. That's the one thing I've always struggled with. Well, I don't know about the nose ring. There's <laughs> just something about the nose ring. All right, so you know, you've read your Old Testament. I, I, I know my Old Testament. I told you, I like stories, and so I, I, I recognize it. And well, I think about things like that. I get images, and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I don't know if somebody gave me different a gift culture. of a nose ring. <laughs> yeah, definitely a different culture. All right, so how long have you been married to Jan? 41 years. 41. Congratulations. 41 years. As a pastor, have you ever seen your job interfere with your marriage? It's real easy to, uh, when ministers really fight that, because the, the ministry can become... Uh, over take over your marriage and it can actually be your wife 
And I'm very thankful that my wife calls my hand at that a lot. We've learned that I share my schedule with her once a week before the week starts, and we look it over, and, and we plan times together, plans of rendezvous together, and et cetera. So I like to date my wife. I like very to good. Spend, uh, spend time with her. And so, we, you know, what we do is we plan those out, and, and those are – are, are um, at times that are sacred. They will not, nobody can cut into those times. If there's an emergency, okay, sure. I understand that. But other times, you know, when I'm scheduling, you know, appointments with people whenever that there's some times that, that people just cannot have. I got a weird question for you. Is there room for more people at your church? Oh, yes. Okay, so listen, if, if you like what you're hearing today from Bob Brubaker, this is a pastor of a local church right here in Clearwater, Christ Community Presbyterian Church. This is the kind of pastor we need a hundred thousand of them across America that understand the fact that we are the body of Christ and we are bringing it to the workplace and he's here to equip you and there are lots and lots of other pastors out there I want to know is your pastor one of them but if you're looking for a church home a place where you can go and get equipped so you can go into your workplace you got to check out this church he did not ask me to say this Christ Community (laughs) Presbyterian Church thank you Jim yeah no (laughs) you know it's just it needs to happen and that's what we're trying to do we're trying to get, get people equipped and you're doing it now you started a blog you, you call it the weekly power break so right. you're doing that every month then um, every week okay just checking to want to make sure you're doing what you said you're doing okay so the weekly power break how long have you been doing this Wow, since uh, 1995, I believe. They didn't have blogs in 1995. <laughs> well, for a while, I sent them out uh, just uh, by email. And um, I was uh, sending them all over the country. And I had a lot of connections when I was uh, doing a lot of triathlons, especially when I was sponsored by Spam. I was traveling the a Spam lot. Man. Uh, the Spam Man. The Spam Man. I was pl- traveling a lot. And Did I, you ever get brought up to uh, Albert Lee or to uh, Austin, Minnesota, where they make the Spam? I sure. I, I actually it was one of the people that have been privileged to see Spam being made. Oh, no, that's not. Don't ever watch that. Did, oh, no. They didn't show you the piles of stuff that they make the Spam no, no, out of? No, no, no. no. Oh, was, you just got to see it made. I know what is really in it. It is pork shoulder and ham, and it's spices, so it's spiced ham. Okay, but also, but it's different. Little, but it's different bit. than spiced ham, though. Spam is different than spiced ham because they're two different products. Because I I like spiced ham by Hormel, but I don't like spam. Okay, well, but I grew up in Minnesota, for the record. I'm also in the spam museum. Today we're talking with Pastor Bob Brubaker from Christ. Community Presbyterian. Thank church. you. I was just making sure you knew where you were from. <laughs> he wrote a book, which we talked about at the beginning of the show, called One Breath from Death. And now we're talking about his blog. He's got a weekly blog called The Weekly Power Break. He's been doing it for 20 years. He said he had a blog for 20 years, but we all know there was no blogs 20 years ago. AOL, you know, pretty much people had CompuServe, AOL. Yeah, I, mean, I don't even think Microsoft had Juno, maybe. But Juno, yeah, yeah. I have some friends who are missionaries in St. Pete that still have a Juno account. I've been trying to get them off that forever. All right, so you're right. Why Why do you do the weekly power break? It's a word of encouragement. Encouragement, first of all, it seemed like um, I meet more and more athletes around or people that want to be athletes. And so it had that athletic focus. But uh, as I've talked to people and people have got on my uh, my list, uh, they they uh, I'm talking to people in the business place. I try to encourage, take a piece of uh, uh, scripture and try to apply that to something that they're facing in life. So, what inspired you to start it? I mean, was there an event that says I got to I got to start encouraging people? I mean, was there something that you just you heard some discouragement and you said I got to start encouraging people? What, I mean, what 
what got you started? Wow, I haven't even thought about that for years. But uh, I just uh, wanted to encourage the people, first of all, in the church that I serve. Got it. Where was that? It was up in Ohio. Okay. Around uh, Stowe, Ohio. And I was uh, I just wanted to send a word, a weekly word to them of encouragement. And then people have caught wind of it, and then they wanted to be on my email list. And so the email list grew and grew. And, and so um, How many people do you have listen, look, reading the blog each and every, each and every week? Um, I think there's 500, maybe. I don't know. Uh, it hits it hits many um, a list. Yeah, I'm not in your list, and I got a copy, so it's going all over the place. Yeah, people forward it, and also I'm on several lists in um, New Zealand and Austria and in Australia. And I, for one reason or another, I don't know, but it also goes to Brazil. And uh, so it gets, keeps going out and out. I, I'm very thankful for that. You know, the the blog that I got, which somebody forwarded to me and said, Jim, you got you to get this guy on your show, was you're, you you'd entitled it, What is Your Purpose for Doing This? And you got a couple of minutes. So you wrote this blog that I loved because people don't, people think, well, I got a job and I'm just going to do my job. And then when I get done with my job, then I can go do ministry. I can go do whatever. You ask some tough questions. What's your purpose in doing this? What, what, why did you write that? I think when I looked at uh, some of the people who were complaining. I've I've talked to people that were complaining about their work or they're complaining about situations in life, and so I asked them, "What what is your purpose for doing this?" I like to ask my friends, you know, "What is your purpose in training?" You know, if you were going to ride your bike, you know, what do you have a purpose for doing that? You know, how, do you have a training schedule? Because if we, don't, if we don't do things on purpose, we do things haphazardly. And if you go to a workplace or you go to you know, anything you're doing in life, you ask yourself, what is the purpose? Well, the Bible teaches us that the first purpose is to glorify God in all that we do. Whatever the, he says, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that's a very important thing to t- keep in mind, that God is looking for us to glorify him in whatever place he has for us. And so when you go to your job, if you're mowing the lawn... You do that to his glory. If you're, you know, uh, pulling weeds out of your garden or you're taking out the garbage, you do that to the glory of God. You say, cleaning yeah. the toilets. Yes. Whatever it may Whatever be. Whatever you do, you do for the glory of God. And God, I believe, places us in circumstances in life to test us whether we're really going to glorify him or not, or whether we're going to complain about it. There's no question. You said you believe that God. I mean, there is no question. And and often the whole thing that Jesus said, listen, to he who is trusted with little, you got to be faithful with little before he's ever going to give you much. Right. And that's really part of that deal. You know, if you're the owner or a business owner or a business leader, are you willing to do all the lowest tasks of all the people underneath you? Because if you're not. They're never going to follow you. They got to know that you're not above them. That you that you don't think you're you're better than them. And that's that's really the role as a pastor to serve. But it, it is we can do any of our jobs to the glory of God. Exactly. I, I love what you said. Digging the ditches, mowing the lawn. I love that. I can, it makes me understand that every time I mow the lawn on Friday afternoon, that you know it's a two hour job and I'm out there sweating a lot. But but that's exercise, and you say you have to exercise every day, well, so that's, that's right. okay. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's I, not a riding lawnmower. You're pushing. No, it's pushing. Yeah, and not even it's not even self propelled. Well, I. I gotta believe that. <laughs> if you gotta get exercise, you might as well really. I had a self. I had a push mower back in Minnesota, but I watch my guy mow my lawn now because I live in a townhouse. So, <laughs> you know, we, we've we've come to the end of another I Work Rim show, but I gotta just ask this: Will you ever come back? Because this has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. Oh, I, I enjoyed it, Jim. I appreciate you having me on the on the program here, and I appreciate what you're doing. And uh, anytime you want, I I love being here.
This, this is great. And, and like I said, if you're looking for a church where the pastor's really trying to challenge you each and every day to go into your workplace like a mission field, to actually help you connect your faith to everything that you do, you need to check out Christ Community Presbyterian Church in Clearwater. It's right on Nursery Road, you said, just to the west, east of Belcher. Just to the east of Belcher. All right, check it out. I'm sure you're online at what? what's your website online? Um, well, my website is bobbrewbaker.com. Okay, but pretty... I, and I'll post that on Facebook. What about the church website? Uh, ccpconline.org. Wow, you can get in trouble saying that with ccpc.org. Community Presbyterian Church. I got it. I got it. And online.org. Okay, got it. All right, listen, I want you to join the I Work For Him Nation. I want you to go right now onto iWorkForHim.com. If you're sitting in traffic, sitting at a stoplight, sitting at home, go to iWorkForHim.com, and I want you to join the I Work For Him Nation because I want you to commit to start being a minister in your workplace. Commit just... Take the commitment to number one, to start praying for your coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's all I'm asking. Just start there. Just start there. Then eventually, I'm going to ask you to serve those people. I'm going to ask you to befriend those people so that you can be an example of Christ to them. But I really am looking for you to get that opportunity to pray with people because there is nothing more powerful than somebody come up and saying, hey, would you pray with me? Because I'm really having a bad day. That is the most powerful, coolest ever thing to do with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, but they know that you'll pray. That is a cool thing. But all along, as Bob and I have talked today, you need to be the best and brightest example of a person in your workplace. Everything about you should be impacting your workplace. You need to do it. Right, Andrea? That's correct. Andrea is telling me i got 30 seconds left. Go on to our website, iWorkForHim.com, and... Click on, I want to join the I Work For Him Nation. But while you're there, click on the banner at the top and find out about all the great big changes that are happening to I Work For Him next Friday and starting on the big change. Big change comes on July the 20th. You're listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower who owns my own business, but ultimately, I work for him.